Hi everyone, you're listening to Guts and Girl Bits. I'm Alison Mitchell, a practicing naturopath, and I hope to share with you all sorts of information about women's health and digestive health to educate and empower you to make informed choices about your own health. Please remember that all information is general and does not replace consulting with a healthcare practitioner. Hi everyone, you're listening to Guts and Girl Bits. Today, I'm joined with Jen Maleka, and we'll be talking about things like how to deal with mold in the house and how mold can impact on your health. We'll be talking about different types of functional testing and the ways that you can get a really deep understanding of your health and well-being, particularly on a hormonal level. I'll give you a bit of background about Jen before we get started. Jen Maleka supports busy, health-minded professionals in taking back control of their health by giving them access to the right lab tests and resources so they can find the missing pieces of their health puzzle, actually fix what is wrong and get back to feeling like themselves again. Using over a decade of personal training experience, training in functional diagnostic nutrition and transformational coaching, she creates personalized health rebuilding programs for clients that are realistic and sustainable for long lasting results and that empower clients to be the boss of their own health. If you're ready to look at the big picture of your health, not just one disconnected piece at a time, to embrace healthy as a way of being and to stop settling for anything less than you deserve when it comes to your health and happiness, then Jen is exactly who you've been looking for. So thank you so much for being here, Jen. Yeah, Alison, thanks for having me. I'm excited to share information and inspire others so that they can also take back control of their health and feel like their best selves too. Yeah, and that's just such a key thing, isn't it? In that people often do feel like they are losing control. And so much of what you do and what I do as a naturopath is empowering people. So I'm just so glad that there's people out there that do that. <laughs> me too, because, you know, there. if I hadn't come across somebody who could help me or the trainings that I've gone through, like I would still be stuck in suffering. And I just, you know, don't think that anybody should have to settle for that. So I think it's what the work that we're both doing and being on this podcast and, and making this information available is this hugely, hugely valuable work because we want to give people, you know, the opportunity to live their best life essentially. Yeah, exactly. So can you share a little bit about your personal health journey? Sure. Um, It started for me back in my 20s really is when my health started to decline. So when I went to college, um, I started to notice that, you know, things just were not right in my body. I was developing really severe seasonal allergies and um, was kind of in a constant state of fatigue all of the time. And then I was diagnosed with skin cancer at a really young age with melanoma. Um, And I was a personal trainer. I had studied fitness, nutrition, and health in college. And it just didn't really make sense to me about what was happening with my body. I started to kind of question, you know, what I had been taught my whole life when it came to like health and diet and exercise. And I came across a wonderful program called Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. And that's for, you know, health coaches or aspiring health coaches or Um, you know, health professionals out there, anybody can take the course. And it really, when I came across that course, it, it, all the pieces of the puzzle just kind of came together. It made a lot of sense. Like it looked at the body from a physic, 
like a functional physiological perspective more so than any schooling that I had ever received. And as a part of that program, you had to run some of the functional lab tests on yourself. And it really shed some light on what was going on with my body. I had adrenal dysfunction that was happening. Um, All of my sex hormones were low. My liver was congested, so I wasn't eliminating toxins um, as well as I, I should have been. And I had really high oxidative stress. And you know, a liver that's not functioning well and a backup of toxins in the body combined with really high oxidative stress is kind of like a recipe for disaster when it comes to cancer. And I really explained like why I had the um, couple spots of skin cancer that I, I did considering the fact that there was no family history or anything that could really um, explain why I had this skin cancer otherwise. And also it explained or provided answers for me about why I was feeling so fatigued all the time, why my menstrual cycle was a mess and why it was so difficult for me to, um, you know, balance my weight to maintain my weight and some of the migraines and things that I were having too. Um, one of the other tests that I did also showed that I had a pretty nasty, overgrowth of H. pylori bacteria going on in my gut, which can cause, you know, a bunch of negative side effects and can just be detrimental to your hormones and overall health too. So basically I was a mess (laughs) on the inside, um, which is why I was not feeling well. And I set off on a journey to correct all of those imbalances and restore health to my body using just natural approaches with diet, rest, exercise, stress reduction, and supplementation. And by the time I reached um, 30 on my 30th birthday, I was feeling the best that I ever had in my entire life. Like I felt better at 30 than than I did at 24 when I was diagnosed with skin cancer. And um, life was great. It was wonderful. I was at my best weight that I'd ever been. Um, My energy was phenomenal. I just felt great all around. And then a little bit after I, I hit that peak moment in time, um, a couple years after, like my health just started to decline again and specifically related to hormones. Like I started having cystic acne all the time and I'd never had acne in my entire life. I was having breakthrough periods. I even had like at one point, like a 12 day menstrual cycle and I was having really extremely painful, um, breast tenderness that would happen around certain times of, my cycle. And I had gone to a couple specialists to try and figure out what was happening. And nobody could really explain it to me. I mean, my right breast was so inflamed that you could feel heat coming off of it through two layers of clothing. And, you know, some of the um, health professionals that I had seen just said, oh, well, let's just keep an eye. We've never seen like before. And I was scared out of my mind thinking like, here I am having a, a you know, history of skin cancer already, like maybe this is breast cancer and nobody was really taking it seriously. I had mammograms done that didn't really show anything. And it was a really scary kind of point in my life because my body had all of a sudden, even though I was doing all of the healthy things, like my body literally seemed like it had just gone on the fritz essentially. Mm-hmm. So I decided to apply just, you know, my own work. I said, okay, if nobody else can help me, then I have to help myself. And I do this with clients all the time. And it's, you know, it's always harder to be your own client, right? To treat yourself in some ways. Mm -hmm. And so I really sat down and just went over my case really thoroughly. I ran um, what's called a Dutch test, the dried urine total comprehensive um, hormone test. 
And it came back looking like oh, I was. I love that test. <laughs> yeah. Love that. And um, it looked like, like everything was kind of pointing towards the fact that I was estrogen dominant, but I still didn't know why that was happening. And just one day, um, actually on the 12th day of that 12 day period that I had, I happened to open up the guest room closet door and notice that we had black mold on the ceiling in there. And I had no idea, you know, that that was there and that how long it had been there for. And that guest room was actually where my office was. So I was working, you know, eight hour days sitting next to black mold for who knows how long and mold can, the mold toxins can mimic estrogen in the body. They become like a xenoestrogen essentially, and they can elevate estrogen levels on top of they suppress the immune system and they can really wreak havoc on your gut in a lot of different ways. And so once I discovered that I went and had some more testing done and found out that, uh, the elevated levels of estrogen and probably the mold toxins in my body had, had triggered Hashimoto's for me. So an autoimmune thyroid condition. And we immediately took action to remove the mold. And I instantly felt relief once I removed myself from that room in general and stopped working in there. And then it's been, you know, quite a journey over the last couple of years. That was about in 2016, I think. And it's been, you know, a journey over the last couple of years where um, just healing from that, like mold is um, pretty crazy. And, and once you have an autoimmune condition, it takes some time for the body to recuperate, but it is possible to do it. And I, you know, finally feel like now in 2019, I'm like back to that 30 year old feeling self where my body is completely like come back to life and my energy is better than it's ever been before again. And I actually probably feel better now, um, than I did when I was 30 too, just cause I've more intensely kind of worked on healing my body over a period of time. And, and that's kind of where I'm at, you know, today, basically. That is a big journey. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. And I feel that a lot of the things that you've talked about, so many women will be able to relate to as well, particularly that feeling where you almost just can't trust your body anymore until you were able to identify some of those things that drove your condition, like the mold, you realized, oh, my body didn't do this to itself. And it's actually been trying to support me this whole time, trying to deal with the mold. So the mold, how did you deal with that? How did you get that out of your house? Yeah. So when you have something like, you know, toxic mold in your home, um, there's a very strategic way that you want to go about getting rid of it because, it's very insidious, you know, mold spores can become airborne and then they can embed themselves in basically any type of porous, um, material. And knowing that, um, that's an emotional roller coaster in itself. You know, there are definitely, as you were mentioning, you know, there's this point of, um, that you go through, I think a lot of us go through in any kind of health crisis or journey that we've had of, you know, losing trust in our body and then working to regain that trust again. Well, I also went through that with my home, you know, questioning, is my home ever going to be safe for me to be in again, knowing that I'm, you know, one of those people out there that, um, is probably more sensitive than others to mold. They say that only one out of four people has like the genetic makeup to really kind of get sick from mold essentially. And I didn't even get as sick as most people can. 
But, you know, going back to your question that you have to be really strategic about it. It does require hiring professional help um, so that they can come in and really like seal off and kind of contain the area that has the mold so it doesn't spread throughout the rest of the house as they work to remove it. So they have to like, you know, airtight seal around the surface and how they bring in these big, huge air scrubbers so that they're scrubbing the air while they're working through the process of removing the mold. And then they have to um, restore it and kind of let it all dry out. And then they come back and test it a couple days later to make sure that it's all gone. And once you've confirmed that it's all gone, then you kind of have to go through this process of cleansing the rest of the home. Um, we had to have like our air ducts cleaned because you know, I mentioned can become airborne. And so then if you're using your you know, heating and air system, they can get up into the air ducts and you have to change out all your air filters. And then going through a process of, you know, kind of cleaning all the surfaces in your home using um, something that will help to kill off the mold spores. And, you know, what's unfortunate is that most people think that you use something like bleach or Clorox to kill mold, right? Like that's what probably most of our parents are if you ask somebody on the street what they would use to kill mold, they, that's what they would probably say. And yeah. what really happens is bleach or Clorox, like some of those chemical um, solutions, they can actually, like the mold can mutate. And, and if you use those cleaning products, it can make it worse. So the best types of cleaning products to use are actually ones that are um, essential oils or botanical and citrus based. And so we got you know, um, detergent and spray for our furniture. And there's like a citrus solution that you can, um, use that kind of like you go through and you fog, um, each of your rooms so that it helps to cleanse the air that's in there. And now in our home, we have two really high quality, uh, HEPA air purifiers that we just run all the time because you, you never really know <laughs> when mold will strike again. You can't really predict you know, the roof leak or the pipe bursting in between the wall or what it's going to, you know, what might happen. And so now I recognize, you know, even the greater value of always just having like a really good air filter in your home, aside from, you know, all the other toxins that it filters out for you, but just because you never know <laughs> when mold might happen. Constant vigilance. <laughs> Constant vigilance. Yes. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's such a process. Reminds me a little bit about how you have to go about removing asbestos. When I've done some renovations in my house, because I've had quite an old house, we found some asbestos sheeting and then the, the, you have to get the professionals in and they have to board up everything and um, do all sorts of stuff. But I, I think mould is almost a little bit more intense in the removal process because it can just like float around so readily, whereas asbestos doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So what have you done your genetic typing to find out if you are one of those people that are sensitive to mold? So the genetic typing that you have to look at the HDLAR gene and um, it's not as easy to decipher as you might think. So, yes, I have done the the testing and, you know, it looks like I do possibly have that genetic factor, but genes are just, you know, essentially like a piece of the puzzle. Ultimately, like we can have you know, all kinds of genes like MTFHR type of genes or COMT genes, and and they can be dormant. They're not necessarily like turned on. So there's not really a way to tell necessarily 
if the gene is turned on or off. But what I could see was that I was having a chronic inflammatory response to the mm. mold. So there are blood that tests that you can run to look at certain um, uh, metrics to see like, is your body having a chronic inflammatory response to the, the exposure to the mold? So things like MSH um, and TGF beta one and VEGF, those types of markers. And those are not easy tests to necessarily get. They're not a common type of blood test, but if you can find the right physician, to order the test for you. Um, that's the first hurdle in getting them done. And then the second hurdle is they tend to be like very expensive because insurance doesn't necessarily, um, cover them depending on where you are in the world or what your insurance looks like. So fortunately I was able to find a physician, um, a naturopathic doctor that I could work with. that could order some of those more advanced testing that I don't, I'm not able to access. And, um, my insurance did cover part of it. And so I've retested them over time. And that's more telling because I could see when the first test was run, like the baseline, my, um, you know, the markers were definitely elevated. And then over time, as we've removed the mold and I've implemented things to help my body heal, I've seen those markers come down over time as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I know those tests you're talking about, and they are quite expensive. Mm -hmm. And here in Australia, they you can get them through a, a naturopath or a doctor as well, but they're not really claimable under Medicare, which is our – it's essentially like the government paying for certain health funds here and mm -hmm. health things here in Australia. Um, but it's not just of everything, isn't it? When you do have a chronic health condition is you have to invest in your health and you have to invest in these tests and um, fine tuning which functional tests you do actually go for is where the actual art of it is. So mm -hmm. you've done quite a lot of work in actually identifying the, like, the right types of tests for each person and all of that as well, haven't you? Yes, definitely. I mean, that's the important part too, is I always look at when I'm considering tests for, you know, any of the clients that I'm working with is what are the, what are the tests that are going to kind of give us the most bang for our buck is what I say. Like, you know, what are going to, what's going to give us the most insights um, for whatever's going on with the scenario with that person and have the most value for the amount of money that they're going to be spending. Cause you don't need to necessarily run a test for everything. That's one of the things that I love about the Dutch test, for example, is that that's a, a pretty easy test for a client complete. And it is rich with so many insights. It not only tells you about hormones, but it can tell you about insulin resistance and give you insights about gut health and what's going on with the thyroid, even though there's not a marker for thyroid on there, but just based on what's happening with metabolized cortisol and 24 hour free cortisol, we can see, you know, if the thyroid might be sluggish or, or not. So mm. I, I really look for like those tests that bring a lot of value, um, but that don't necessarily bring a lot of cost. And also just understanding like how the body works too. Like I can talk to somebody and assume sometimes that there's probably a thyroid issue going on. But when you really think about, you know, what would be impacting the thyroid, um, you still have to work on balancing cortisol and, you know, estrogen and testosterone and working on cleaning up the lover, liver and doing cleaning up the gut and improving gut health. So I don't usually run a thyroid test, even though I suspect 
thyroid issues. Cause I know that if I work on all those other areas of the body, that it's going to improve, it's going to have a positive impact on their thyroid health. And if we do some of that work initially and they're not making progress in the way that they should be, or that I would expect them to, then I would go into some of the more advanced, you know, deeper testing to see like what might be holding them back. Because there's a lot that you can do with just some simple at home functional lab tests and the information that you gain from them. For sure. And, you know, getting someone's symptoms and case history as well is one of the best ways you can fine tune that. So that's mm-hmm. where, like, if you're not a health coach or a practitioner, that's why working with someone is really important. Exactly. Yeah, we kind of help them put together the pieces of the puzzle, like, um, you know, and see the big picture of what's going on and, and where you might not, you know, be able to see it yourself as well, right? Like, I know you probably do the same thing. Like, I do a really thorough intake with my clients or consultation in the beginning, and we start all the way back at the point of birth for their health history because if they were a C-section baby or if they were not breastfed, those could be really important you know, pieces of information that would tell you a lot about how their immune system was set up initially, were they set up for success or not based on those instances. And then you can kind of see, you know, somebody is C-section or not breastfed. Then you can kind of see this pattern through their time where, you know, as a young child, they got reoccurring ear infections or strep throat. And then in adolescence, you know, when their menstrual cycle started, um, it started off with issues, you know, kind of right away, like painful or irregular periods that moved into like, you know, things that's just started to compile later in their life. And so you can really start to form an impression about what's going on with somebody when you do that really thorough, like history evaluation and what's kind of happening with some of the symptomology that they present and just correlating it all back to the person. Mm. Yeah, and putting a timeline together is a really powerful tool for getting that understanding and unraveling the picture. And then you can go through and tease out different contributing causes, work on those, and eventually things just start to unravel and heal. Mm-hmm, exactly. What? Yeah. What are some of the uh, major hormonal issues that you tend to see affecting women's health? Well, I definitely, you know, um, most people come to me and there's like a, probably some really common symptoms or, um, health issues that they come to you with, right? Like a lot of it has to do with weight, especially women as they get into their thirties and then, and their forties, typically, um, I see a lot of brain fog as well. Um, a lot of like low energy is a common complaint, or I tend to see a lot of people that have been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition and they're you know, taking medication for it, but they're not feeling as great as they could be. And so then when they come to me with some of those, you know, common issues, we then get into the testing. And what I often see a lot of times is estrogen dominance, which is way more probably common than it's talked about, you know, like, and there's different types of estrogen dominance. You can have relative estrogen dominance, which means that, you know, your estrogen might be within normal range, but your progesterone is maybe on the lower side. So the estrogen is like actually relatively dominant compared to that progesterone. Or you can have like true estrogen dominance where your estrogen is actually really high. And I actually see this in both men and women. And I'm seeing it more and more in men, surprisingly, 
because of a lot of the, you know, estrogen driving foods and chemicals and toxins that are in our environment, and because um, blood sugar balance can pay, play a role in, in um, estrogen balance as well, too. And, and we just are living in a society where people are eating really high carbohydrate or carbohydrate rich diets, not realizing that that's like disrupting their, you know, insulin and blood glucose balances. And then compiled with that, I'll usually see, you know, some low testosterone that's happening and then some really just dysfunctional cortisol patterns. Like they can have really low metabolized cortisol, which means that the body's not producing much in the way of cortisol. And then when we look at their 24 hour free cortisol patterns, um, they're really wonky. You know, their, their circadian rhythms are flipped upside down sometimes or just really, really low. So of course, they're suffering from energy or the inability to lose weight, um, mostly because they're inflamed and our cortisol is our natural, you know, inflammation or anti-inflammatory pain reliever. So they're just kind of like bloated and inflamed, but also the estrogen dominance will play a, a role in weight gain and the inability to lose weight. So I would say that those are the most common hormone issues that I see the top ones, and then definitely thyroid dysfunction that's happening. But thyroid is, you know, usually the symptom of something greater that's going on. Like I was mentioning before, where, you know, you look at their liver function or what's going on with their intestinal health. And those are all factors as to why they usually have a, a sluggish thyroid. Um, and so working to resolve some of that stuff helps boost their thyroid function like right away. Hmm. It's a bit like how you expressed with your personal health journey, how there's so many different interplaying things. Like there's very rarely a case where it's just, I have low testosterone and that's it. There's always something, so many other contributing factors involved. And yeah, those situations are so similar to the pictures I see in clinic as well. And yes, the high estrogen in men is really common, isn't it? And I think that's to do with the influence of all the plastics and chemicals in our environment. It's, it's no wonder that we are seeing all of this testosterone converting over to estrogen way more than it should do. Okay, so you were talking about the cortisol picture in the Dutch test as well, and that's a really interesting thing that I've been observing with the Dutch test because you can tell a lot more about how your cortisol is acting compared to saliva cortisol tests. Can you talk a little bit about that and about what sort of things you can interpret from the cortisol saliva test? Yeah, this is why I love the Dutch test so much and and all the extra insights that it provides us. I mean, up until the Dutch test, definitely a salivary cortisol test was kind of the go-to cutting edge test, which is a great test also. And in some cases, you know, doing a saliva test is still warranted and extremely valuable, especially when you're trying to look at something like the cortisol awakening response, which is something you can really only get through saliva. You can't get that through urine, but you know, for, I'll just use myself as an example, is that on the salivary test, my cortisol kept coming back looking tanked. And even though I was feeling like significantly better. And so that was just kind of puzzling on what was going on, but that was because, you know, we look at a, sal a saliva test, we're only looking at that metabolized cortisol. And so it doesn't ne necessarily show 
like the 24-hour free cortisol. And what was happening is like my body produces, once I ran a Dutch test, I was able to see that my body produces, you know, a smaller amount of that metabolized cortisol, but it actually utilizes cortisol really efficiently. And my 24-hour free cortisol patterns looked really good, um, actually, which would explain why, even though my metabolized cortisol looked like it was in the tank, that I was actually feeling um, better and really good. And so that's, you know, just an example of some of the additional insights that it can give us. When we when we also look at the cortisol patterns, we can see and we compare metabolized cortisol and 24-hour free cortisol, we can also see insights about what's going on with the thyroid, depending on how those numbers look. And then we can see that circadian rhythm of, you know, how how is the body outputting cortisol throughout the day? Like how is it responding to the environment or um, you know, responding to what's going on within itself as well. So we can see like, are there spikes that are happening throughout the day? And like one of the things that I tend to see often is, you know, a relative spike into the evening time. And so the person will complain that they, you know, feel wired, but tired, for example, at nighttime, like they have a hard time falling asleep or they get a second wind at nighttime. And we can see that in the cortisol pattern that their nighttime cortisol levels would be elevated or slightly elevated or relatively elevated compared to what the rest of the pattern looks like. And then that usually will highly correlate with what we see on a stool sample test also, because you know, we have to ask the question of, well, what is spiking cortisol at nighttime like that? It could be things like exposure to light, for example. But um, what I find that it correlates most strongly with usually is gut bugs, like some type of parasite, bacteria, or yeast over growth because those organisms are nocturnal. So at nighttime, when we're trying to get, you know, ready for bed, they're just getting started for the evening. They're creating some internal stress that the body is then responding to. And then it's releasing cortisol as a, a result. And usually once we clean up whatever's going on in the gut, um, the person doesn't have that wired, but tired feeling or that second wind at night, they're able to go to sleep fairly easily and sleep through the night. And then we also see those nighttime cortisol levels come down. And it's really cool when you can see the whole picture and how some of those pieces of the puzzle, you know, get connected basically. I love it. It's such a great link to make there as well, because your gut health has such a big connection with everything else. And that's really fascinating how you can actually look at that test and go, mm, I think that's to do with your gut bugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a fair few other areas that your gut health can impact on your hormones and your overall health as well, isn't there? Yes, there there definitely is. Like, for example, if you have you know, low estrogen, for example, low estrogen can actually contribute to leaky gut um, or we also look at things like, you know, if you have low, low hormones, like why is that happening? So if you have low estrogens or testosterones um, or progesterone or DHEAS, that can be an indication that there's a degree of leaky gut or intestinal dysfunction that's happening. You're not absorbing nutrients very well in order to even produce hormones also. Um, on the Dutch test, we also get to look at markers like some of the neurotransmitter markers like dopamine, 
um, and melatonin and norepinephrine and epinephrine, which those neurotransmitters are primarily produced within the intestinal lining also. So if any of those markers are off, um, then that can be an indication that there's gut dysfunction that's happening, that's creating an imbalance then inversely in, in some of those hormones. Um, especially like I love looking at melatonin, you know, melatonin, most people know of it as our sleep hormone, but it's also an antioxidant. And it's actually just for comparison about 200 times more powerful than vitamin C. So when we see like elevated levels of melatonin, that can be an indication that there's an infection somewhere in the body. And normally we'll see that infection kind of correlate with gut health. Like again, there's like a parasite or a bacteria or a yeast infection that's going on. And so the body is pumping out a lot of melatonin within the intestinal lining, you know, to fight off that infection as, as an antioxidant essentially. So the, um, the Dutch test really complements, you know, what you might be seeing on a stool sample test and then inversely as well. Like I think like in my practice and working with clients, pretty much everybody who comes through and works with me, like everybody gets a Dutch test and everybody gets a GI map stool sample test so that we can really see this big picture of how the body's kind of interacting together. Yeah, those are great tests to work on um, as a basis for everything as well. Do you have any other tests that you're a really big fan of for hormonal health or even for gut health? Yeah, I'm also a really big fan of there's a test by biohealth laboratories here in the US and you can get it um, internationally as well. It's just a little bit more expensive, I think, for the shipping, um, but it's called the metabolic profile and it looks at something called Indican. Um, so you have to do like a challenge for the test the night before you have to eat a certain, um, amount of protein the night before to challenge the test. And then it looks at what the Indican marker is looking at is like how well you're digesting protein or not, which can give us insights about gut health. So it can give us insights like indications for maybe small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or H. pylori overgrowth, or just simply like mal, um, absorption, like not being able to absorb or digest nutrients very well. So that's, um, can be really helpful and kind of correlate with some of the other findings that you might get. It also has a marker on there for urinary bile acids. So this helps us to look at the liver and how the liver is moving bile acids through the through or not. So that can like kind of indicate whether the liver is congested or if it's doing its job or not. And then it also has markers on there for lipid peroxides, which is oxidative stress. And what's interesting is like sometimes when I run a Dutch test, the Dutch test also has oxidative stress markers on there. Sometimes that in the, in the uh, metabolic profile test will complement each other and sometimes they don't. And I think that's also interesting too, because anytime that we do a test, it's really only a snapshot in time right? So you could do a test today and maybe you're just having a good day today. Um, and, and maybe tomorrow you're not. So when we run, you know, kind of multiple tests, even if they have similar markers and we're putting all the pieces of the puzzle together, it can be helpful to go back and look at some of those things. Um, I'm also a really big fan of running a food sensitivities test with most clients. Um, I love the Cyrex labs or vibrant wellness. Um, they have some really great food sensitivities tests because, you know, that also gives us insights on what's going on with gut health specifically. Like if you have a lot of food sensitivities that are happening, that can be, you know, a symptom of 
gut dysbiosis or leaky gut that's happening. Like you have food particles that are now crossing in across the gut um, barrier that are getting into the bloodstream, the body's then reacting to them. And now you have antibodies against a food. So now you have a food sensitivity as a result of that. So then you can work on eliminating some of those foods for a period of time that's going to help to cut down an inflammation and the, and what's going on with leaky gut and then be able to introduce them, you know, at a later point in time, once you've kind of worked on healing the gut. And that all relates back to the hormones again, because we know that the body is a network of systems. And so when one system of the, the body is dysfunctional, like you see all these food sensitivities and insights for leaky gut that are happening, then you know that the hormones are also being affected by that. Um, you know, you, you can't just look at one piece of the body. You have to look at all of the systems of the body and understand, you know, what exactly is happening. Yeah. Look, looking at all of those different factors just gives you that complete picture, but it's, it's so tricky, isn't it? Because it does add up in costs and many people find that they just can't really achieve it. So I personally find that like I'm, I'm, I pick and choose what I need. Some people don't get any functional testing and we have to purely work with just, you know, case taking alone. Do you have many people that are like that? I do. I always have that as an option, you know, for people that are really tight, you know, with a budget or funds. Um, and we do a really thorough intake process in case note taking, like you said, and, and generally, you know, you can look at their lifestyle, right? Because it all looks, it all comes back to lifestyle. Like Mm -hmm. you get the, even if when you're running a test, the tests are just helping to guide, you know, your recommendations for diet, rest, exercise, stress reduction, supplementation. So, you know, as we've been trained in our line of work, you can pretty much like evaluate anybody and see where they can improve aspects of their diet, their sleep, you know, their, um, exercise stress reduction and, and give them some pretty like, um, basic supplements. Like there's, you know, some standard supplements that I believe everybody should be taking for the most part that are just going to support function in the body. And they would see improvements without having to do, you know, any type of, of lab testing. Are they going to, you know, heal everything completely maybe, or maybe not, because depending on where their voids are, like if they truly have like some type of, you know, just dysfunction that's going on, you may need a lab test to really pick that up. But I think for the majority of the people that are out there, um, by making some of those changes to their lifestyle, like they're going to see improvements, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And you can always look at doing the tests later on as You've said previously, if things don't progress as you want them to. Exactly. Mm. And when you're taking the case, what are some of the key symptoms that you're looking out for as a sign of hormonal imbalances? Well, that's a tricky question because (laughs) symptoms can be far removed from the root cause, right? So you can, you know, let's, (laughs) let's take like acne, for example, like most people would relate acne to a hormone imbalance of some sort, but it can also be an indication of a food sensitivity. Like I just had a female client come work with me. She's a a young 20 year old and dealing with chronic like cystic acne. And, uh, we did a food sensitivity test and, and she, out of like, you know, 170 foods, she was like sensitive to like 50 foods 
on there. And so we started cleaning up the foods and the acne started going away or Mm -hmm. acne could also be related to a detoxification issue. You know, we have skin issues like that. It's a sign that the body's trying to expel something usually. So it could be like a toxin in your environment or a clogged liver, um, potentially, So, you know, those are, it's really hard to nail down like what exactly is a hormone system symptom or not, you know, like, so I think if I was to generalize, I would definitely say weight gain, fatigue, acne would be probably like the top three issues that I see people coming through with, um, And then sleep disorders, like sleep issues, when they have low progesterone or high estrogen going on or dysfunctional cortisol um, levels, like they are not sleeping well, like they're, you know, have insomnia of some sort or just never feel rested through with their sleep cycles. Yeah, that's that's right. You're right. It is a tricky question. (laughs) It's a very good snapshot of how we do look at it as well and that you've got to look at all of the way that's different. Awesome. So can you give us a recommendation that say you've got someone that just really wants to work to balance their hormones in general? Do you have one or two recommendations that they can do to support that pathway? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that the, like if I was to list three things that you can do to start doing today, it, the first thing would be to, you know, move towards an anti-inflammatory diet, you know, stop the fueling the inflammation that's probably going on in the body already. That's going to be disruptive to your intestinal lining and the balance of the hormones. So that would be, you know, some of the primary inflammatory foods that I have my clients eliminate would be gluten, dairy, soy, sugar, And then alcohol, especially things like soy and alcohol, which can drive, you know, estrogen specifically. So we see like alcohol use can drive like E3, you know, on the Dutch test specifically in there. And, and we don't want that to be happening. There's already plenty of estrogen dominance factors in our environment. We don't need to be adding those necessarily. And then sleep would be my second, you know, probably I should almost list that one as first, I guess I should say, like, I think we need to learn to value sleep more than diet and exercise. in a lot of cases, because you could be eating healthy, but if your sleep is dysfunctional or, um, you know, erratic in any kind of way, then all of your efforts with diet and exercise kind of go to the wayside. And so it's really important for us to be sleeping according to a natural circadian rhythm, which means being asleep, not just in bed, but actually asleep by about 10 PM most nights of the week, which would mean like five nights out of the week. I mean, that's how our ancestors were. We live in a society now where there's artificial light and artificial temperature. So we can trick our bodies into thinking that the sun is still up when, you know, that's not how it's necessarily meant to be. If you were, you know, out camping, for example, or on a vacation somewhere, um, you know, remote, your body would probably find that your body attunes to that natural rhythm of the sun. And that's how our circadian rhythm is meant to be and how we're supposed to be sleeping. And so when you're sleeping, 
according to a natural circadian rhythm, like asleep by 10 p.m. and then waking up, you know, somewhere between 4 to 6 a.m. in the morning, getting a good solid like 6 to 8 hours of sleep, you're going to notice some huge shifts in how you're feeling and your diet therefore is then going to be more effective. It's going to help to balance your cortisol rhythm, which will then have a positive effect on the rest of the hormones in your system as well. And I think the third thing that I would recommend for people out there um, is to, you know, really take a look at your stress and not just emotional stress, but also like physical stressors on your body, um, because those things can start to accumulate really quickly. So we have mental, emotional stress, like the relationships in our life or work, but we also have physical stress such as, you know, over-exercising or, getting up and doing a really hard workout after having a night of poor sleep or staying up late. So the body's already in a depleted state and then we get up and we go push it even harder. And then that can have a negative impact on our cortisol and our circadian rhythm and our natural hormone balance too. And I just see a lot of people doing that. I know that that was a I was one of those people, like I was guilty of that because I came from a personal training background. So my mentality for a long time was always like to push harder, work harder, burn more calories. And I really had to shift that mindset, especially when I was working on dealing with reversing my Hashimoto's because my body just needed to rest. And I cut back way, cut way back on my exercise intensity. And when I finally did that, I started making leaps and bounds and restoring my hormone health and getting my thyroid back on track. I think we've covered so much amazing information today and I think you are a wealth of information. I'm sure that everyone who is listening is going to be so empowered and have so many ideas about things that they can do to move forwards with their health if they're dealing with issues with their health that are similar or along the lines of what we've talked about. If people do want to learn more or get in contact with you, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, um, they can find me on social media. So either on Facebook or Instagram, um, my handle is Holistic Health Boss and Holistic is with a W, like the whole person. So Holistic Health Boss, or they can also find me on my website. I love to blog about all the things that we've been talking about today. And I have some free resources like pre-recorded webinars and things like that for people to grab. And that would be at Holistic Health Boss. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for sharing all of this amazing information. So thank you everyone else for listening. I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode. Please jump on and leave us a review as well. And if you have any questions, then please put them through too. And if there's anything you want to hear about in the future, let me know. Thanks, everyone. And thank you so much, Jen. Bye, everyone. Thank you.